colleagues, dear clients, dear friends. Welcome, everyone. I'm Peter Felberg, the firm managing partner of Faskin. The invasion by Russia into Ukraine is now reaching the end of its third month. We've seen its effects on a global scale. Massive dislocation of people from Ukraine, incredible human suffering, and a war that seems to have neither a legitimate purpose nor a clear outcome. We've seen a remarkable display of resilience by the Ukrainian people and a surprising weakness but emerging brutality in the Russian attack. We've seen the West galvanized in its support for Ukraine with unprecedented sanctions on Russia and certain Russians and with escalating arms support to Ukraine from NATO countries. We've seen Finland and Sweden react by application to join NATO, Switzerland emerge from total neutrality to support sanctions and Germany finally picking a side. But we've also seen China quietly support Russia and many countries simply stand aside. We've seen an incredible display of generosity from Poland and other countries as millions of Ukrainians are absorbed into homes and families. On a human scale here in Canada, many of us have been touched personally by the war. As the beneficiary of waves of immigration from Ukraine over the last century, Canada finds itself again the beneficiary of refugees. Many of us also have friends or relatives in Ukraine who are living through the trauma. Many businesses are having to make difficult decisions about operations in Russia and are having to address the need to do the right thing with the reality of protecting their colleagues on the ground in Russia from backlash and danger. At an economic level, the sanctions affect all of us, and the energy picture will clearly darken in Europe as the war continues and another winter approaches. The news about the war is constant, and was all, with all news about war, the truth is elusive and difficult to find, not only about events on the ground, but about the bigger picture. Many questions remain. Questions about Putin's resolve, his health, stability, and whether he can continue to hold his place in Russia with what looks like a massive miscalculation unfolding on the ground. We wonder whether nuclear war is a real possibility. Will Putin risk the deployment of tactical nuclear weapons in a country where the winds blow to the east? The economic picture is also unclear. Who are the winners from this? Who are the losers? We also question the broader geopolitical implications. The relationship between China and the U.S. is clearly affected, but where are she and Biden in all of this? How strong is the relationship between a traditionally xenophobic Russia and China, and who is now the big brother in that relationship? Are there limits to the relationship with no limits? How does the war affect the parts of the world that are neither the West nor clearly allied to Russia? To help us with these and other questions, we're fortunate today to have with us Anne Leahy, a Canadian diplomat with a distinguished career in Canada's Foreign Service, who in conversation with our own Raymond Chrétien, will discuss the invasion of Ukraine and its fallout in the world. Together, they will cover the geopolitical, diplomatic, and humanitarian aspects of this conflict, together with its impacts on other countries. I'll turn things over to Raymond Chrétien to introduce Ms. Leahy and to start the conversation, which will be in English and in French. Raymond, for anyone who does not know him, is a partner and strategic advisor to the firm and is the former ambassador of Canada to Mexico, France, the United States, Belgium, and the Congo. Over to you, Raymond. Merci beaucoup, Peter. Thank you very much, uh, Peter. Now, a few words about, uh, about uh, Anne Lee, our guest speaker. Uh, Anne was born in Quebec City. Uh, elle a grandi dans cette ville. Elle a fait ses études primaires et secondaires dans cette ville. Later on, she went to Ontario, first to Queen's University, where she obtained a bachelor's degree in economics, and then to the University of Toronto to get a master's degree in economics. She joined the Foreign Service of Canada in 1973. Over the years, she held a number of positions, both at headquarters in Ottawa and abroad. But early on, she kept her interest and developed even more her expertise in European affairs, especially East European affairs. And this is what led her to be appointed first as our ambassador to Poland and then to Russia. She was then the first woman ever appointed to this important and delicate assignment. Anne is fluent in, in Russian and is considered one of our best uh, experts on uh, Russian issues. Today, she is the real expert. I'm not, I've never served in that part of the world. So therefore, instead of answering questions, as is usually the case, I will ask the questions. Alors, uh, avant de passer à, à ces questions, uh, une petite parenthèse, a short parenthesis, just to complement what Peter Felberg just said in his uh, extremely good introduction. Today, we're going to talk about the war between Russia and Ukraine. It's three months old, likely to drag on for months, perhaps years to come. 
But this war takes place also as we live with our new reality of COVID-19 that has already caused millions of deaths around the world, including 40,000 here in Canada. But on top of that, the climate change crisis is getting worse by the day, and major changes will be forced upon us if we want to avoid a catastrophe. I've been involved with international issues for almost 60 years now. But it is the, the coalescence of these three major threats that makes me particularly nervous. I hope that I'm wrong, but this should be a serious wake-up call. Now, let's get started. I have many questions for Anne. I hope that you will have some too later on. My first question, Anne, is the following. The signs have been clear for quite some time that Vladimir Putin was not happy with the dissolution of the Soviet Union, not happy with the expansion of NATO to, to Russia's borders. Countries like Poland, Hungary, Belarus, Bulgaria have joined NATO now, despite assurances given to Russia at the time that it, this would not happen. I've read recently the, uh, the, the summary of the conversation between Gorbachev and, and Secretary Baker of the United States. It's clear that the, a promise was made to the, uh, the Russians uh, at that time. My question to you, Anne, is the following. Why now? Why not three years? We have seen it coming for years. Why not three years ago? Why not a year from now? Why now? Merci, Raymond, and thank you uh, to Faskin <laughs> for the invitation. Raymond and I are both uh, members of the Canadian Retired um, Ambassadors Association. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to uh, be able to... Um, uh, remind people of our, <laughs> of our existence as a source of uh, a lot of expertise, actually. Um, so why now? Uh, one of the best experts on Russia is uh, Fiona Hill, the American who was once uh, in the National Security Council. And um, I like uh, the elements that she brought forward. We s it was evident that something military was uh, underway uh, already in November, December, and that's when it became clear to those in the know that something would happen. But why then and not last July or two years ago? I tend to see this as a convergence of a few facts. And uh, you haven't heard this name perhaps in a while, but I think Donald Trump had something to do with it when he uh, negotiated a withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, and that, I'm sure, was interpreted by uh, President Putin as a withdrawal of uh, the U.S. In, uh, from its involvement, let's say, in, you know, in, in various parts of, of the world. So um, then the um, messy way in which the uh, exit uh, occurred from Afghanistan uh, probably showed uh, Putin that he was right to think that the U.S. was were perhaps weaker than they projected. That was uh, something to be exploited. Um, and uh, the, um, in retrospect, you can see the buildup of signals like this. Uh, that he was thinking about this for a while, I think we can certainly go back uh, to July uh, when this uh, you know, huge essay uh, was uh, posted on his website. Uh, in English and in Russian simultaneously, so that everyone was sure to read it. And again, in retrospect, when you read sentences like, Kiev doesn't need the Donbass, well, it, it, when you're not thinking uh, retrospectively, uh, well, okay, that's a, flir you know, a, a way of speaking, but in fact, he really meant it. Um, other um, bits and pieces in that essay, by the way, um, just to jump ahead, are... are make me pessimistic when he uh, assimilates uh, the, um, the, what he thinks is the destruction of the Russian identity in the sense that recognizing Ukraine as a separate country, a separate identity is an anti-Russia move. Uh, he says that's the equivalent of uh, the use of uh, weapons of mass destruction. And if you know the military doctrine of, of Russia, uh, they can retaliate, right? <laughs> so he, he's he's really putting down some some markers. Uh, other elements, uh, you know, of preparation, it, we haven't paid much attention to that. But there were amendments to the constitution that were voted 
by referendum. It was delayed once because of COVID, but it happened in July 2020. People focused on the fact that it extended his uh, possibility of being president by another two mandates uh, until 2036. It, there were other amendments uh, as well, um, uh, including one which says that the uh, Russian constitution uh, has priority over international law. Uh, it has uh, another amendment that says that the president cannot surrender any part of Russian territory to a foreign power. Read, we really got Crimea now. I can't give it away again. So it, there, it's a, just a, a culmination. But I think in the immediate, uh, I tend to think that uh, the uh, reading that President Putin made of uh, the only other superpower that counts for them, which is the United States, they read that... Um, uh, the U.S. was withdrawing from involvement, for example, Afghanistan, and, and that was done in a messy way. And then, of course, two other big elements. One is Russia very actively interfered to create havoc in the states, not in the elections. And uh, then, of course, the failed coup, uh, What my words, but let's say the insurrection around Capitol Hill on January 6th. So these are the events you think, I, I think led them to, uh, to, to precipitate now. that. And then... Uh, Peter mentioned it in his in his um, in his uh, opening statement. The speculation about Putin's health. Uh, I am in no position to to speculate. I've read tons of uh, you know Russians love plots. They love to speculate. So there's tons about you know uh, about Putin's state of health. I have no way of knowing. But if there is a factor, however, that would also give us a time frame which is a little more uh, hasty than uh, than uh, than otherwise let's let's talk about uh, about Vladimir Putin uh, right now he's at the at the heart of this crisis uh, I have met Putin myself uh, once uh, in the early 2000s when I was ambassador of Canada to, to France uh, this is when the West was trying to bring Russia into many of our key institutions Re remember there was even talk of of Russia becoming a member of, of NATO at that time. Uh, Putin had been in power for barely two years. He was then uh, very uh, articulate. Uh, he was always very well, he was very well prepared, very well briefed, all, all, even smiling. So obviously his 22 years of, in power have, have changed the man. He's now certainly he seems to be far more isolated, uh, erratic and angry. So my question to you, Anne, is the false. What do you think are the the consequences of the war are or will be uh, on Putin's power in Russia. Will he be able to survive politically? Who could reason with him to stop the war? Could there be a coup? If so, led by whom? I think he's in a horrible corner now. And a, a cornered Putin is a dangerous man. How do you see it? Many questions there. <laughs> Many questions, indeed. Um, the regime that Putin now has put in place is a personalist regime. It's more than authoritarian. Everything revolves around him. Um, so that's great power to him, but it also means that people who are uh, at his orders really depend on how well he performs. Because the minute he doesn't deliver... Uh, what makes them inféodé to, to Putin, uh, then uh, they all become people who may want to uh, see him go. And again, if you read the telegram channels, you know, social media of, of Russians um, who are now outside the country or some who are bravely still <laughs> in the country, there's a lot of uh, talk about uh, dissatisfaction among uh, particular senior military officers. Uh, who don't like the way the war was conducted, um, and also among, uh, we'll call them senior business people, uh, those who haven't uh, met their fate by uh, suicide or those who uh, haven't fled. Um, so there's a lot of talk, but uh, how solidly is Putin installed? Uh, I personally think that what uh, he fears the most is a loss of popularity uh, in the uh, among the normal people, if I can say, and the normal people are those who have not really benefited all that much recently from the early years uh, after the chaos in Russia. I was in Russia in ninety six, ninety nine, and I there was famine then. There was total dis 
array in terms of distribution networks and all that, it was hard. And then you had the period where McDonald's and the Firmini brand, you know, the, the, the access to luxury goods. So you, you, and, and Putin initially managed that with all the oil revenues, but now um, it's hard times. Uh, but Putin, I think, is uh, very, uh, very uh, concerned about his level of popularity among, let's say, normal Russians. Um, and when he grabbed Crimea, his, it shot up. Uh, and so he probably thought that uh, the action in, in uh, the Donbass area and now going west uh, would also prop him up because we tend to forget it now, but Navalny's been in jail now for, for, for uh, two years. Um, but there were huge demonstrations in Moscow uh, and around the country, not just in Moscow in 2017, enough that it was uh, really worrying for him. And then you had, you know, uh, an increase in the crackdown. There is less press freedom now than there was uh, in the last years of Brezhnev. <laughs> there is no, uh, you know, there's no freedom of, uh, of expression. There's no, certainly no political action outside what is absolutely uh, uh, controlled by, by the Kremlin. Um, so how long can he maintain that? Um, because the minute that uh, people around him who benefit from it feel that he, he's not the person who can continue uh, keeping them in the clover, or worse, that by association they'll suffer uh, sanctions, or we haven't talked about the rule of law here, or but <laughs> but I mean uh, I wouldn't want to be uh, the person uh, in the photo next to Mr. Putin when he comes up in the Hague, you know. So uh, these are things that that uh, I'm sure they're 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 thinking about. I was struck in um, in uh, on just before March 25, there was a piece of news there, a news item. Uh, about Anatoly Chubais, uh, I'm sure some of you, that, well. that will resonate with you, who fled. It was reported that he had fled Russia and he was, had been seen in Turkey. Now, Anatoly Chubais is a very smart cookie. <laughs> and he was around when I was there with Yeltsin. Uh, he was there in the, in the administration when Mr. Putin came over in, in 96 from St. Petersburg, where he was at the... Uh, in the Subchak administration, by the way, dealing with investors from the German-speaking countries. So he's been in business for a long time. Uh, so he came over to Moscow. So there was, Tobias, uh, you know, transitioned through Yeltsin uh, with Putin, uh, not in the administration, but heading uh, the Rao, uh, the electricity, the equivalent of Hydro-Quebec in uh, here. Or, um, and if he the consummate survivor decided it was time to take a flight to Ankara. Um, as we say in French, la, il a senti que la soupe était chaude. Um, you, you know, at the time, if I may, uh, there were uh, the reformers, three young reformers who were called like the, the three young wolves. There was Boris Nemtsov, there was Sergei Kirienko, and Anatoly Chubais. Chubais is out in Turkey. Nemtsov was shot and killed just a few feet away from the Kremlin on orders by, well, who knows, but we can guess. And, and Kirienko, who was very smart, who was prime minister briefly when Prime Minister Chrétien came to Moscow in 1998, he is now the deputy in charge of the administration of Mr. Putin, and he has just recently taken over the transition into the administration of the Donbass and uh, of Donetsk and Luhansk in the Donbass. Therefore, you can really see that Putin is going to completely absorb in the Russian Federation those two areas. But and there is no history of coup in in, in Russia. The Tsars, you know, in the past, uh, usually uh, ended their their reign by being assassinated. Is there the possibility of of a coup by a senior military in in Russia if they see that the the war is is not going uh, how it supposed to go and dangerous for their, their future. Uh, do you see this as a possibility? Well, I think there are various ways to do a coup. Eh? Yeah. A <laughs> um, Brezhnev uh, shoved aside uh, Khrushchev. There was no coup. Was no coup uh, he, 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 he didn't die in his bathtub, yeah. but but uh, he was yeah, shoved was aside. Uh, Stalin had the good grace of dying in office. Um, and uh, so you, you, you can't really, I mean, there was a coup. There was definitely a coup against Gorbachev. He, 
he survived yeah. it for a few months, and then the yeah. Soviet Union was was dissolved. So there are various ways of doing things. <laughs> Une autre question sur les valeurs maintenant. Uh, Western leaders talk about our, our values, uh, uh, democracy, uh, respect for the rule of law, human rights. Uh, the Russian leader, Vladimir Putin, uses a totally uh, different uh, language. You have lived with the Russians. You have lived there. Uh, can you compare our values and their values? Putin seems to be talking from a totally different script uh, and therefore the source of, of many misunderstandings. What about the values on both sides? That's the word I don't like because it means so many different things to different people, particularly if you're talking about states. But having said that, there are two points I want to make. The first is, sure, Putin refers to um, uh, Ilin, a, a Russian philosopher close to the Russian Orthodox uh, Church. He refers to, uh, um, to state civilization, meaning Christian Christianity, Orthodox Christianity. Um, Putin is a, is a clever uh, member of the KGB who rose to be a lieutenant colonel, mid-level, not high level, who therefore is, is just, he's pragmatic, he's described himself as that, and he's extremely cynical, and he will use, he will instrumentalize what works. So um, Christianity, Christian values works in the sense that it's used as a rebuttal for all the quote-unquote, depravity of the West. Um, that's one thing. The second is that in terms of the Russian identity, the uh, question of um, uh, believing in one God, believing in uh, the throne and the altar being part of the same, uh, the, the wholeness of the Russian identity, um, that is extremely useful uh, for for uh, for whoever sits in the Kremlin, uh, and therefore there is what we do not have, or we haven't had in a few centuries in the in the in Christendom, is uh, the uh, total uh, uh, you know coincidence of the church uh, and the uh, uh, civilian, uh, if you want, uh, authorities. So. In, in Russia in particular, the uh, head of the Moscow uh, Patriarchate uh, of the Russian Orthodox Church um, always uh, supports the agenda, of, put it this way, of whoever's sitting in the, in, in the Kremlin, uh, at Tsar. Or, there have been exceptions, very brave exceptions, at the turn of the 20th century, at the time of the Civil War in Russia. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the, the way things are done... Now, values. This is where... Uh, there's one point, if there's one point I would like to leave with people today, what I, I, we don't talk enough about, uh, is the, it's not so much values, it's the ideology. It's the ideology. And what is this ideology? It's nationalism. And we see the effects in North America, and I include certainly Canada, we don't pay enough attention to this, but it's the, it's the use of uh, a feeling of uh, being overwhelmed, you know, local normal people being overwhelmed of uh, not having the same respect as they used to. So you blame it on all sorts of things. So in multi-ethnic contexts, uh, this is very, um, uh, very powerful. And uh, the, um, and I think we have to beware uh, of that. The if there's a link to be made between China, you raised China earlier, and I would add India, um, what's we'll happening China, in the from. United States, what's happening in Canada, in fact, we're all multi-ethnic uh, nations in a way, is, is uh, the, the, the links between those the dissatisfied, those who feel humiliated and, uh, and reinforcing each other. And uh, there's an international, not of a workers' unite or communism, but there's an international of that. And I, I think uh, what Putin is uh, banking on right now is he's riding on that, and big time in terms of Ukraine. Allons maintenant de la Chine. Let's talk about the, the, China, uh, the China angle. Clearly, there's a, a very close link between, between China and Russia. Uh, Xi Jinping must be following with a great deal of interest what's happening in in Ukraine right now. I'm not sure that he's uh, very happy with, with, with Russia. But how do you think this, uh, the way this war is, is going could uh, 
uh, influence Xi Jinping in his own thinking about his own big uh, issue, Taiwan, which, is, uh, which has some similarities with, with the relationship between uh, Russia and Ukraine. What, what do you think uh, is going through to, to his mind? Do you think it, it is changing his, his appetite to reconquer Taiwan as he would like to, as he would like to do? I have no way of knowing. <laughs> However, <laughs> um, I think if I were, she is also a, a personalist regime and he has big, big anniversary dates this year. And I don't think he wants to do anything that's going to uh, make him vulnerable okay, in terms of his own agenda. And that includes not creating any dissatisfaction any more than he has <laughs> at the moment uh, and of people around him. And if there's one lesson he must be looking at when he's looking at the Gaspedin uh, Putin, it's that um, some military are not happy in Russia about how Putin has has conducted things, and he, he I don't think he wants she wants to create anything that would you know uh, uh, would uh, threaten his his own position right now because he's doing something that no one else has ever done. That's one thing. Um, so I think that's the most important thing actually. Uh, in terms of Taiwan, uh, I, you asked me at the very beginning what precipitated uh, the, 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 the 24 February date here. I don't know if there's uh, something in sp specific to Taiwan, China right now on that, but uh, the Chinese are famously uh, known for, for being able to look at, at the long term. So it, it, he, he can keep the present situation going for, for, for a long time. The, the key question here is the United States of America. They're, they're the protector of, uh, of Taiwan. Um, and there is also another uh, consideration is that there are boundary uh, disputes in, in that area. There is Japan. Uh, there, is, uh, uh, there, there are other countries who, uh, who have uh, contentious issues. So um, I, I would think that in the, this year in particular that she would be would be cautious very careful because of yes. the re-election yeah. so listen i've been uh, in the u.s for almost seven years a long time ago china then was not uh, what china has become for the americans it has become for it has moved from a, a, a not an ally but a, an adversary uh, to a, to what is uh, seen now to be an enemy even democrats and republicans seem to agree on this uh, it'll be interesting to see the how this war is affecting American thinking about, about Taiwan as well. I mean, uh, there's a security guarantee uh, by the Americans over, over Taiwan, but a big issue uh, of discussion discussed all the time in the U.S. is would the U.S. go to war to, to, to defend Taiwan? I mean, the, uh, I would have said 10 years ago there was a, a very strong chance that that would be the case. I'm not so sure now. So, well, this is something to follow very, very closely uh, in the months ago. Another question. It's too early perhaps to talk about the, uh, to draw historical uh, lessons from, from this war, but already some serious consequences are, are uh, apparent. Uh, go ahead about how you see some of those consequences, and I might add some later on myself. Well, th there are a few. Um, and uh, let me start at the very, at the ground level before we get into the international order and impunity and this sort of thing. But I found something interesting, again, linked to the question of ideology and identity. Uh, because again, we must remember, Russia is a federation of 21 ethnic republics, by the way. It's not just Russia. But um, its, it's uh, claim uh, of rewriting history in order to deny Ukraine its identity, really, um, uh, has, uh, as we all know, had the effect, uh, quite the contrary effect, and, and people who weren't aware of how specific Ukraine was uh, now realize that. I, I saw um, a quote by... Uh, Olga Marcus in, in the Israeli paper Haaretz, who, was, who said, I was a Russian-speaking Jew from Kiev. Now I'm a Ukrainian. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. Um, another uh, 
I'm like drawing lie. I, I think it's too soon to judge what happened after the French Revolution, yeah. so I'm not going to draw lessons of this. Have lessons. <laughs> but, but I'll make a few observations. Uh, the, the others about borders. No, we've tended to think after, uh, particularly in very peaceful Canada, but we've tended to think after World War II uh, that borders, the borders we knew were the borders that obtained. Particularly, I, was, I, I had a bit of Africa in my CV as well, and I did a peace conference on, on, in Africa, and it's absolutely true. I mean, the Africans uh, were stuck with borders that colonial uh, powers gave them, and at least... They said, well, we've had enough trouble. We're not going to start around fiddling with our borders. So we, we tend to think borders. Have, I think the invasion of, uh, of Ukraine by Russia shows, in fact, that we may be going back to what is perhaps the norm, that borders are very uh, flexible in, in a way. Um, it, she would be a little old, but let's say a very old grandmother, uh, could uh, Ukrainian, could have uh, lived uh, in the same village somewhere in near the Buk River, you know, the separation between European Ukraine and what the Russians think is their Ukraine, would have been in the same village and have five different names to, to the larger entity where she lived. So borders have moved. I think that's one of the lessons. Um, and as you hinted with, with Taiwan or with other areas where there are conflicts, of uh, border conflicts, we may see some people getting bolder. Um, the... Um, Another impact uh, is, I'll, I'll just name two. You mentioned the, uh, the perfect storm of uh, climate change. And yesterday's report by the Meteorological uh, Organization is another disaster coming. Uh, the perfect storm between climate change um, and uh, COVID and, uh, and the, the, the operation, uh, <laughs> the operation, the war, the war in war Ukraine. Um, I think... I, I hope I, that the uh, need, particularly for Europeans, to pivot on their supply of energy uh, will uh, be for the good in terms of helping uh, the, uh, the, the, the climate environment, let's say. It, will, it certainly, we've seen, has accelerated a lot of timetables uh, in Europe, in Germany. Um, and it's going to precipitate, uh, I know people uh, listen to us from our western provinces here, but it's going to precipitate uh, the discussion on our uh, exploitation of our own carbo uh, carbohydrate um, resources and our infrastructure. Um, but um, I, I, that may be something for the good, actually. Uh, we now see, uh, you know, planes that are run, that run on electricity, and we, the Norwegians, have ships that are all electrical. For example, I mean, um, the other um, another um, consequence is an exacerbation of migrants, and we had uh, focused on that because of what was happening in in Syria uh, or <clears throat> off the coast of Libya for the whole movement out of Africa. Um, and then uh, you remember Angela Merkel, wir schaffen das, you know, will manage to take them in. And now, you know, with Ukraine, you have uh, at least uh, 6 million, what is it, 6.3 million outside Ukraine and inter internally displaced people uh, about the same amount. So that's a, that's a strain. That's a strain. Yeah, that's that's, that, that's in terms of the human cost. We tend to talk in statistics, but in terms of disrupted lives, it's, it, 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 it's huge. It's huge. And then finally, there's another aspect, and I'll link that to sanctions. We haven't talked about sanctions. How do you think they'll last? How, when well, do you think they could be removed? I, I, first, uh, how, how long will they be effective? Um, you see, um, they're effective in certain ways, but then uh, they're already being contourné, um, you saw that uh, first you had the Italian energy company, now you have a French one and a German one who came to a deal to be able to pay for their energy imports in rubles. Yeah. Um, they found, you know, uh, two bank accounts here and one bank account there and we're not violating any sanctions. So um, people have read Eric Vuillard, L'Ordre du Jour, Right? The, the companies that profited during the Second World War. I think there'll be the similar book will be written probably. 
after this is over, uh, but this is my segue into corruption. No one talks about corruption. Corruption is a huge, huge, huge uh, elephant in, in, in all our rooms. Um, and uh, the reason Putin is the uh, all-powerful master right now is because of massive-scale corruption. Uh, and if we, can disrupt, if we can disrupt the patterns of corruption, then the, uh, this is how it will embolden some people to say we're not profiting anymore, so exit Putin. Um, and here I'm not talking regime change, because uh, that is really not the smart thing, but from the inside, you have the incentive of the, uh, the people... Uh, around him, the Russians I'm talking about. But corruption is something uh, which uh, plays everywhere and undermines sanctions. A few uh, other consequences that are already very visible. Uh, I remember during my time in, in Brussels, which is about 25 years ago, Europeans were then talking about a European pillar for their security. and They didn't want to be dependent totally on the U.S. Now, clearly, there's a new, uh, there will be a new... Uh, architecture for European security emerging out of this. We see uh, the application of, uh, of both uh, Finland and, and, and Sweden to, to become members uh, of NATO. So this is, this is going to change a lot uh, for European countries uh, themselves. Most NATO countries, you have not mentioned that yet, but uh, have already increased their budget to, almost, to 2%, which is the, which, which is the aspiration, the, the norm for NATO countries. Even Canada has made a big move in our recent budget to increase our, our defense uh, budget. So these are, this, is, this, this is going to change a lot in terms of security arrangements in Europe and, and around the world. Uh, you have not mentioned also the, the food crisis. It's all, we, we feel it here in, in North America, but in some African countries, uh, South Sudan is already starving. Uh, uh, Somalia, there's a big crisis there. Ethiopia, uh, countries in the Middle East, even Iran is going through a, a major food crisis. So this is, this is not just the result of, of, of this invasion, but remember, Russia and Ukraine are both big exporters. Of, so this is, this is big already. Let me make a parallel between the food crisis and the energy crisis. I think that um, it, it might be good because of the, it, the impact on the exports, not only of cereals, but also fertilizers uh, mm. from Russia and Ukraine. Um, the impact uh, on, on, on supply, um, the same way, I, and coming after COVID, I, I think we should look at the, uh, the way the, the grain uh, economy is structured. Yeah. Uh, the, the, it, it's really uh, four very major conglomerates mm. who control the, uh, the movement of, of uh, fertilizers, seeds, and, 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 and cereals. Uh, is that a good thing? Probably not. Mm. Uh, so in addition to dealing with the immediate uh, crisis, well, the World Food Program and all that, we should ask ourselves, uh, is, is it time to, uh, to return to a, a, a more fragmented uh, or less oligarchic mm. system of, of, uh, of uh, market? Uh, in terms of, 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 of food production. Um, the, the other point I, I, in terms of the consequence of this war is, um, because you mentioned, of course, Finland and Sweden, and everyone said, ah, you know, it's the uh, contrary to what Putin wants. They're not in yet. No, the Turks are not very happy with this. Uh, yes, and what that tells us, uh, and I can't wait for, for Hungary to start asking about something, and now we have Croatia that started to oh, have yes. demands because they don't like the way the Croats are treated in, the, in the Bosnia-Herzegovina. Um, it's the role, uh, it's the, um, we talk about the multipolar world. Himakov, who was the foreign minister for a long time, talked about it. This is a major plank in, in Putin's uh, worldview as well. But the multipolar world is not just like India, China, uh, Russia, and, and U.S. as four major poles. It's regional power centers. Mm. Uh, again, a little more fragmented world. So uh, Iran, Turkey, Brazil, uh, um, having perhaps larger spheres of uh, their own spheres of influence. So uh, how, do, how does the world order function after that? Where does that leave the U.N. in terms of a a moral force, uh, because the enforcement of, of uh, 
international law, humanitarian law, or understandings as you don't attack each other and this sort of thing, relies on, the, on, on a, some con consensus, at least. So how are we going to rebuild that if the consensus is, is, is broken down and, and varies according to the immediate regional interests? I think that's a, that's a major challenge. And the other is in terms of, um, of crimes against uh, humanity, genocide, I mean the violations of international humanitarian uh, law, there has to be um, a way of increasing the... Uh, the, the control and the policing and the enforcement uh, of that. And, and that is something on which several of, of our, let's say, allies are, are working on in terms of Ukraine. And you just mentioned the, the UN. Uh, this uh, gives me a, an idea. A long, long time ago, I guess, in the early 1960s, uh, I was a young uh, third secretary at our Canada's mission to, to the UN in, in, in New York. Uh, this is when the, the UN was playing a really a pivotal role in the in the affairs of uh, of the world uh, uh, it doesn't seem to be the case right now it seems that the UN uh, is is not as I don't know if it's vigorous or uh, I have to be careful here we, got, we have an expert with Louise Frechette in the room she might disagree with me but I mean what how, you 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 saw the result of the of the last uh, uh, general Assembly resolution about the invasion of of, of uh, Ukraine by Russia. I was struck by the number of countries, not necessarily voting against, but, but abstaining. Obviously, uh, not all countries of the world are seeing eye to eye uh, on this issue. How do you, uh, how do you explain this, this, this vote or this, the fact that so many countries are sitting on the fence? Is it a, an oblique critique of globalization? Uh, what's your reading of this? Um, I think there are various explanations, um, and some are that um, it's um, it doesn't concern us. This is something European. It's something. Uh, it's you know where we're not directly in Involved. impacted yeah. with that. Others were, uh, let's say, the more client states, uh, obviously. Uh, but I wanted to look here because what's interesting—it's a good point. Um, the um, interesting thing were how the ex uh, republics of the Soviet Union voted, and uh, the um, and and this is uh, some because uh, Mr. Putin's immediate uh, goal is to recreate certainly. <laughs> Uh, most of the USSR, going back to the historical lands, going back to, to the Tsar, actually. Uh, so that's uh, Moldova, north of Kazakhstan, including and Belarus and Ukraine, of course. Um, and so Belarus is no longer an independent country, for it's been for a while. Uh, but Moldova, for example, who's the next on the list, if you want, they voted uh, in, 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 in favor of the condemnation. Yeah. So they're the only ones uh, with Ukraine and Georgia. Of course, we haven't talked about Georgia, but that's the, old, the other uh, SSR that, that lost a, uh, two autonomous republics to Russia. Um, who abstained was Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, and Armenia. Uh, so they didn't vote uh, with Russia. They abstained. Um, and those who found a way to go to the bathroom at the time and not participate in the vote uh, are the clients, uh, Azerbaijan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. Very interesting. Yes, yes, uh, because they probably, you asked me about the lessons on it, they're looking at maybe next month or five months from now. Now, listen, we have to be a bit fast because we have only 15 minutes to go. I think we have some questions, but I have two questions that we have to discuss quickly, very quickly in a few minutes. I mean, how do you judge the, the reaction uh, of, of the U.S. first and then Canada to this uh, crisis so far? Well, I think the U.S. under President Biden has been uh, playing a key role <laughs> in uh, taking a decision that uh, is rather uh, novel, which is to make public its intelligence oh, yeah, uh, and thereby preparing uh, public opinion. Uh, uh, as well as others <laughs> who read the cues. Um, uh, Canada uh, has responded. Um, uh, I, 
to the best of its uh, of its uh, means. Uh, and there is there are all sorts of people criticized all the time. But I think what we don't see. Uh, the phone calls that Christia Freeland makes, or uh, the you know making her network uh, come into play and that sort of thing, is is uh, as a diplomat, you and I know that that's extremely important, and perhaps doesn't get the credit it should. Mm. Yeah, but let's I, get questions. No, we let's get questions. States, we have a question, which is what what might happen if Trump is eventually reelected? What would happen with NATO? and the friendship with Putin. Please, Mr. Chrétien, Mrs. Leahy, go ahead. Well, you're the American expert. If Trump is reelected, I guess it's, it's, a, it's a, to go there this morning is a bit premature. Listen, uh, uh, clearly that would be a, a game changer probably for, for, for the Americans. Uh, let's see if we cross, if the Americans cross that bridge uh, in, in a couple of years there. So many other big issues that will, uh, well, that it, will be popped. And you had something about yeah, before Trump, uh, there'll be the uh, elections at the end the of the, uh, yeah. the midterm elections. Um, and it, it, I, I think that we're engaged here as NATO. So the NATO allies, I, I don't know to what extent uh, in the House or in the Senate or even later with Trump, to what extent they'd like to freelance at that point. Yeah. I've known the... Joe Biden and, and Tony Blinken quite well during my, my time in, in Washington. I must say that I find the American reaction very, very good. First of all, this is Joe Biden at his best. This man has been involved with international issues for 20 years. He's comfortable dealing with this. And I think that the fact that he took a leadership role in, in reuniting NATO, uh, really going to Ukraine, uh, uh, disseminating armaments of, of the first order, money by the billions uh, is uh, shows me that on, on this issue uh, the Americans should not complain about the about the, their president I think they have, they have been very very good in terms of Canada uh, also you mentioned uh, Mr. Trudeau uh, Christophe Freeland I think she plays a pivotal role in this in, in our policy towards uh, Russia and Ukraine I don't think that Canada can play a mediation role right now as we have in, in the past played because we are non-grata with, with the Russians, but who knows? Who knows if uh, if Putin is gone in a year or two, that Canada might be uh, able to play such a role. But I think that on this issue, uh, I would kudos for, to, to, uh, to our, our government. Other question? Yes, yes. The recent applications by Finland and Sweden to join NATO seem the most obvious indicators that the invasion was a mistake. Will Putin be able to explain away to the general public the significance of these applications. Go, go well, uh, his general explanation is that NATO is at the behest of the Americans. The Americans are threatening Russia. He accuses them of having orchestrated Maidan. So it won't be too hard. <laughs> Mr. Chrétien, what do you think? Bonne réponse, la même. Autre question? The same one. Well, this is more social. And I think it does uh, take us away from um, the military side, but it's really um, an important one as well in talking about culture. And it is notable that Putin surrounds himself with imagery of a narrow, traditional masculinity. His support for anti-gay measures makes sense in that context. So what are the attitudes of Russian women to this agenda? Do they feel threatened? Do they accept this portrait of Russian society? And these days, why do Russian women seem to be mostly absent from the political scene? That one is clearly for you, Anne. Well, uh, <laughs> well, you might have your own thoughts. Maybe the person hasn't read Femen, you know, the <laughs> with the pussy right? Mm -hmm. you know. The, so there are young women who are very. It's true that the, among the amendments in the constitutional amendments of 2020 uh, is, is the definition of marriage between a man and a, and a woman. So, and and Kirill, of course, the patriarch uh, who speaks very much in support of Putin, has you know complained about gay parade, but. Um, you have to, there are, there is a gay culture in Moscow uh, and in various republics. You, you may remember that actually Canada facilitated the, uh, the exfiltration of uh, some uh, gay, uh, uh, I guess, Russians, um, because they were part of, I can't remember what republic anyway, a few years ago. Uh, but um, the, um, 
Yes, the traditional values, uh, and that's, uh, I alluded to that, it's in reaction to uh, what is seen here as depravity uh, in the West and a, and a weakening of, of the culture which they seem to read uh, in, in what's happening in, in the States and, and in Europe. Now, uh, women um, uh, women have, uh, there are very strong women. That, I mean, the, the chair of the Bank of Russia, the central bank, is an extremely able woman. I mean, Medienka, whom I knew when she was the governor of St. Petersburg, is now one of the uh, key allies of uh, Mr. Putin and the, and, the, and the Kremlin. So that there are some strong women around. A question in the same vein. Uh, you were also our ambassador to the Holy See. Yes. <laughs> uh, what about what about religion? We see Vladimir Putin going to mass. We see the Pope pronouncing himself about this uh, this invasion. Um, is, is it real for Putin? This is he religious or is it just a? Uh, a no, fake or I think from what I said earlier, you know, when I added that he's very cynical and he's instrumentalizing it. That's that's. That's the it's, answer. It's no more serious than that. You know, the, the, the Easter, the presence at Easter at the <laughs> Cathedral of Christ Savior uh, in Moscow. In fact, you may have seen it on, on, on social media. It, it was taped separately. He wasn't there. He had it. It was taped the day before. It was empty. And then they, and, and it wasn't done. Someone slipped there. I'm, I'm sure our technicals are better than that. Anyway, someone was able to say, hey, that doesn't quite work. Um, so at first, when I was, you know, I was there in, in 96, 99. So the first, you know, the construction of the Russian identity includes definitely Orthodox Christian, Christianity. And, and therefore, he was present. And Lushkov, the mayor, then went to mass and all that. But even then, people say, you know, that's, that's the culture side. It's not the religious side. But communism Communist Soviet Union was trying to eradicate religion. Absolutely, but, yeah. absolutely. And then they saw how, and I vie aux gens qui sont dans des sociétés sécularisées in Quebec, is that you, you can't really do that all the, all that easily. When the Second World War broke out, Stalin realized that he needed uh, uh, the, the the help of of, of the religious uh, clergy. And, you know, he had been persecuting uh, the clergy quite strongly, and he stopped everything during the time of the war. So they all contributed to the war effort. So, What do you think of the Pope's pronouncements? Which ones? Our Pope. He talks yeah. a lot. He talks a lot. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? His, uh... his, no, I mean, he's taking a strong stand, and he's, he's, he's very, he has been visible in, in this debate. Well, that the Pope's position in terms of uh, the Catholic Pope's position here is, is rather delicate, because... Definitely, in terms of a religious leader, one of the, the goals of all popes is to reconcile or to bring together again the Orthodox and the Latin churches. Um, and definitely um, his predecessor, Benedict XVI, when I presented my credentials to the Holy See, it was to Benedict XVI, and um, I had been briefed on, of course, Canadian <laughs> relations and all that. The one thing, I'm not revealing any secrets, that the Pope wanted to talk to me because he knew I'd been in Russia, was Russia, Benedict XVI. Uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a fascination with Russia, certainly on the religious side. Now, with, since the invasion, the, the, the Pope uh, has wanted to play the role of the mediator uh, to keep the channels open uh, on, all, on all sides. Um, and it's a little more complicated for in this case with Ukraine because there is a very active uh, Greco Ukrainian Greco Catholic Church, which is not a Latin rite, Byzantine rite, but reports to the Pope if you want. And they're, of course, very uh, active in, in Western Ukraine in particular. So he's not entirely removed from the situation, uh, the Pope, because, you know, his. He has part of his flock, uh, uh, you know, un un under great stress in, in, in Ukraine, and he has uh, reached out to the uh, to the Patriarch Kirill by phoning him, and and keeping the channels open. Uh, some people have said, "Why is he talking to Kirill, who's supporting Putin?" Well, as a diplomat, you would know that it's important. That's the one thing we do when you don't want to have your picture taken with someone who's unpalatable. Well, you send in the diplomats because in the background they can do that. They can. Well, I have one about Canada, and it's a very important one. Do you believe Canada should do more in Europe and in Ukraine? The military or humanitarian aid? How do you feel about our Canadian 
um, support. Well, personally, I think we should get our house in order. We're talking in terms of immigration in particular, uh, uh, in terms of welcoming my, uh, refugees and all that. Um, when you hear the, the premier of Quebec say, look, uh, we can't absorb them. We, can't, we don't have enough uh, capacity um, uh, to, to help people coming in. And then, of course, the, the scandal of waiting for two years before you are five, you know, uh, horrible delays in, in getting processing. I, I personally know uh, people who are in Poland, Canadians in Poland, who helped, who went to the border, got Ukrainians' uh, family and, and, and helped to process them. But it's, it's a nightmare. And our people, and I want to say right away that because I was ambassador in Poland, but the, uh, and, and the current uh, embassy there is doing fantastic work. I mean, they're, they're working. <laughs> they couldn't work. But, but it's the system. It's yeah. the backlog, and that's been allowed to, to just to degenerate. And so we, we should stop moralizing for a while and just get that house in order. And the same with military. We, we, we're offering this and that and the other, and that's great. And our Minister of Defense seems to be very uh, intent, but the procurement system, for Christ's sake, is, is broken. <laughs> <It's blocked. laughs> so fix that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have two more questions for both of you, and one that is interesting might replace Putin, another nationalist? Or do you t think that after this, times might change? Uh, whoever asked that is a well-informed person. Let's, let's <laughs> make everyone aware of it. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah. <laughs> yes, because that's, that's part of the discussion going on. Uh, even at the start uh, of um, Yeltsin's second term, uh, you know, they, they wanted to define the Russian idea. It didn't go anywhere, but, but but this is the same debate. What's the and and um, and already uh, Kwasniewski, who was president of Poland, met Putin in two thousand and two. He was barely two years into his presidency, uh, Putin, and already Putin, uh, Kwasniewski says, wanted to recreate Greater Russia, and all. It's been there for a long time, but some people around yeah, those thinkers, those ideologues, thought that they weren't nationalist enough. So there is a debate. There's a there's a spectrum. There's a continuum. But there's a debate. Some think that he's not enough. So would they, you know, move him over? And and, and but I rather would look at the pragmatic uh, money making business first. I wouldn't look in the domain of ideas. Well, in talking about the pragmatic we have time for business. one more question. Lisa. One more question, and I think this one will wrap it up for everyone. What do you think is the end game of this war? That was my final question, actually. Yes, that is the most important question. What sort of end game? If Ukraine is going to win, if Russia is going to win, what are the scenarios for future negotiations that are bound to take place at some indetermined future date? And then we'll ask Eric Beda will come in and conclude our very good conversation because we're almost up. End game. There will be eventually a negotiation, but any premature talk about that, and I don't want to engage in that, would counter Ukraine's chances of recovering all its lands, including Crimea. So, I'll end it there. You'll end there. Thank you. Donc, je pense qu'on a, a fini. Je pense que je vais laisser à Eric le soin de terminer notre rencontre. On a déjà dépassé deux minutes, là. Eric? Oui, alors, euh, merci beaucoup, Raymond. Merci beaucoup, Madame Annehy, ambassadrice du Canada. Je pense que vos propos ont vraiment éclairé nos, notre audience. C'est un débat qui, malheureusement, ne finira pas aujourd'hui et pourrait, pourrait nous pourrait nous garder très alerte pendant de nombreux mois et surtout aura des impacts pour des années et des années à venir beaucoup plus proches de nous que parfois on est appelé à le penser. I wish to, ask, to extend my deepest appreciation to Mrs. Annie, former ambassador of Canada to both Russia and Poland, for accepting our invitation to join us today and discuss about a topic whose fallout will be with us for years to come. It has been enlightening, and this has allowed us to better understand the current impact of this, of this complex and their repercussion, repercussion to come. Je remercie également notre associé, Raymond Chrétien, qui, une fois de plus, 
nous a amené un invité qui était extraordinaire et vraiment très, très instructif pour l'ensemble de notre audience et pour son implication dans l'événement. Merci à toute l'équipe du marketing. Merci à vous aussi. 